Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Underground USA. Welcome back to Underground USA. Be sure to check out everything we do at undergroundusa.com. My name is Frank Salvato. As we approach the 2022 midterm elections, the fact that the majority of the public has rebuked everything Democrats have tried to move during their total control of government has left them without a single marketable accomplishment on which to hang their election hopes. This sets the table for what appears to be their game plan. In a barrage of attacks and underhanded media pieces since just before the new year, Democrats and their media surrogates are taking aim at their opponents to include their families, their spouses, and children. This inclusion crosses a long-honored ethical line and relegates the total of political discourse to an unethical, slash-and-burn, win-at-all-cost act of personal assassination. On the 30th of December, a gaggle of usual suspect far-left fascists attacked Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis as being on vacation and ignoring the benign Omicron variant numbers in the Sunshine State, when in fact... Mr. DeSantis was accompanying his wife to a treatment session for her breast cancer. And hundreds of miles away, on the same day, in another red state, the Dallas Morning News highlighted a disgusting tabloid-like story about U.S. Senator Ted Cruz's 13-year-old daughter, Caroline, which attempted to sow the seeds of division between child and parent by highlighting differences in their political opinion. The Dallas Morning News story that found its way to Twitter had the headline, Ted Cruz's daughter says she disagrees with most of his views. In a recent video posted to TikTok, that's the communist Chinese version of Twitter or whatever, I I highly suggest no one use TikTok, Carolyn Cruz said, A lot of people judge me based upon him at first glance, but I really disagree with most of his views pretty much just like every teenager that any parent has. The Dallas Morning News was immediately taken to task for its full-speed march over the ethical line in targeting a politician's children, with even those usually aligned to such political garbage speaking out. Republican defector MSNBC's Joe Scarborough, a former Republican congressman from Florida, who said nothing about the attack on DeSantis, by the way, 
tweeted about the cruise story, quote, I cannot imagine any reason why media outlets would write a story about a politician's 13-year-old child, especially when it pits child against parent for political purposes. See also George and Kellyanne Conaway's minor daughter. It seems ghoulish, unquote. And U.S. Representative Dean Phillips of Minnesota, a Democrat, tweeted, Public officials are fair game. Our children are not. Their sentiments reverberated throughout the political media sphere. The fact that two stories revolving around the family members of two Republican stalwarts were perpetrated on the same day must be viewed as the caustic and fascist left floating a trial balloon to divine whether including the families of Republican, Independent, and Libertarian politicians up for re-election in the 2022 midterms would be a viable tactic. The initial response from the American people, as well as those in the political and media spheres, indicates that the fascist left to include puppet masters Valerie Jarrett and Eric Holder and top lieutenants like David Brock and the cadre of sycophants at the New York Times and the Washington Post, well, it indicates that those fascists have grossly overstepped the ethical line, albeit a tarnished and dented one in their dragging of Casey DeSantis and Caroline Cruz into the political spotlight. So why would the Democrats not protest this incredible blunder executed on their behalf by the usual suspect mouthpieces in the media? The answer is simple. They have absolutely nothing to run on in the midterm elections. Nothing. Joe Biden has helmed unilateral Democrat power, what with the Democrats' complete control of the federal government, and has achieved nothing. Zero. He's failed to achieve his priorities as outlined in the campaign and then in his inauguration speech. He's failed at reuniting a very divided country, something he included in those priorities and guaranteed voters he could do. He's failed at adequately stewarding the U.S. economy, which was thriving before Democrats weaponized, politically weaponized, the COVID event to win an election. Speaking of COVID... Do you remember when then-candidate Biden said this? I'll put and plan a place to deal with this pandemic responsibly, bringing the country together around testing, tracing, masking. Folks, we shouldn't be politicizing the race for a vaccine. We should be planning for its safe use and free and equitable distribution, providing PPE for national standards for schools, businesses to open safely. I laid out a plan back in May how to do that. I've said it before. I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. So the question needs to be asked and honestly answered. With Democrats in total control of the federal government, just like when they used unethical tactics to jam Obamacare down the throats of the American people, what has the Biden administration accomplished? What has the Democrat-controlled Congress achieved with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer in leadership? Nothing. They have achieved nothing that can be touted as beneficial to the American people. Okay, I have to walk that back just a wee bit. The fascist left has accomplished a few things. They've served the United States up to China in every way imaginable, provided Russia and Iran with the upper hand in Middle East policy, all but forfeited American economic sovereignty to the World Economic Forum's Great Reset, 
aided in advancing the divisive critical race theory into our educational institutions from kindergarten through high school and all throughout higher education. They've destroyed a thriving economy, facilitated an even greater divide among the American people, single-handedly hobbled law enforcement, creating a record number of violent crimes in every one of our major metropolitan areas, crushed the housing and automobile markets, decimated the energy sector, creating unmanageable spikes in gas and fuel oil prices, ineptly allowed the supply chain to crumble and halt, and destroyed security at the U.S. southern border while opening the border to illegal aliens and, among them, terrorists from every corner of the world. And the list goes on and on and on. Not on that list, or rolling off of any serious political pundit's tongue, is a single positive accomplishment, a single thing achieved to better the lives of the American people. So when you've got nothing, as the Democrats do at this moment, you do one of two things. One, you retire, which a long list of Democrats are doing. Or two, you attempt to shift the focus to a manufactured narrative. Guess which option the power-hungry, transformative fascist left has chosen. When I come back, a familiar name from politics on the radical left. And 2024? You're listening to Underground USA. My name's Frank Salvato. We'll be right back after this. Did you know that Yopon is the only tea plant indigenous to the United States? Hi, I'm CJ the owner of Emerald Coast Tea Company. We have a line of Yopon teas and Yopon tea blends that will open your eyes to tea that is literally made in the USA. Check out our entire line of teas at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mama's tea. Welcome back to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. Democrats, rank-and-file Democrats, Democrat voters, must seriously question the wisdom of their party leaders when it comes to the candidates they choose to represent their party, especially in state-level and national elections. As it stands, the prerequisite for running for higher offices in the Democrat Party is losing at least one down-ticket election. Consider the names being floated for the 2024 Democrat nominee for the presidency. Rather, the name being floated. Almost exclusively. You ready? Hillary Clinton. Ooh. An op-ed published in the Wall Street Journal this week declares, yet again, that Hillary Clinton's time to run for president of the United States has come. Citing a leadership vacuum, Doug Schoen who served as a political consultant to Bill Clinton and Michael Bloomberg, and Andrew Stein, a former New York City Council president, wrote that a perfect storm is forming for Democrats, highlighting the dismal approval numbers for President Biden and Vice President Harris, and alluding to Biden's cognitive decline. The two Democrat spin doctors floated the test balloon that is suggesting an opening for Hillary Clinton to run, once again, for president in 2024. Quote, 
Clinton's already in an advantageous position to become the 2024 Democratic nominee. She's an experienced national figure who's younger than Mr. Biden and can offer a different approach from the disorganized and unpopular one the party is currently taking. If Democrats lose control of Congress in 2022, Mrs. Clinton can use the party's loss as a basis to run for president again, enabling her to claim the title of change candidate. Unquote. Uh, Clinton served as a carpetbagger U.S. Senator from New York and Secretary of State after losing the Democrat nomination decisively to Barack Obama in 2008. She went on to lose to President Donald Trump in 2016 after being nominated as the first woman to helm the DNC nomination. Shonen Stein concluded, If Democrats want a fighting chance at winning the presidency in 2024, Mrs. Clinton is likely their best option. From Hillary Clinton to Stacey Abrams to Beto O'Rourke, it appears that if you run for a state level or federal office and you lose, but you're a Democrat, the next step in your political career is to run for office again, and almost always for higher office. Either this indicates a very weak political bench for the statewide and national Democrat party organizations, or it's a testimony to throwing enough feces at the wall in hopes that it eventually sticks. It isn't that any of the retread candidates have nuanced their ideological stances after acknowledging they have been rejected by the voters. In fact, the only things that change in every ensuing election after a loss for these professional activists and politicians are time and rhetoric. Regarding Hillary Clinton, she's always been the more radical of the Clintons. Bill, as much as the ideological right cringed at his presidency, was a politician who knew how to work the halls of Congress. He understood the idea of throwing a political bone. No pun intended. This is how welfare reform and long-term capital gains tax rate cuts came to pass during his tenure in office. In fact, even the Daily Beast, hardly a centrist or right-of-center publication, said this of Hillary Clinton in 2015. Quote, Tying Hillary Clinton to her husband is an act of political malpractice that ignores the fact that on economic issues, she was, during his presidency, during her 2008 campaign, and still today, significantly to the left of him. Her Hillary Care proposal, as it was dubbed in the 90s, was a textbook example of government overreach that proved politically unviable. During Hillary's failed 2008 presidential run, she explicitly pledged to increase the federal government's role in the economy, and as of 2007, Hillary Clinton was on record opposing future free trade agreements. In 2012, the State Department, then headed by Mrs. Clinton, recommended to President Obama that the President's permit for the proposed Keystone XL pipeline be denied, and that at this time, the Trans-Canada Keystone XL pipeline be determined not to serve the national interest. Unquote. Let's check out the gas prices today to see just how very, very wrong Mrs. Clinton was. In her unofficial role as election advisor to current Democrat incumbents, Hillary Clinton isn't counseling to temper the radical views so prevalent throughout the contemporary Democrat Party, a party fully ensconced in fascism, 
Instead, she advises them to think about what wins elections. I think that it, it is um, a time for uh, some you know, careful thinking about what wins elections and not just in deep blue districts. Nothing is going to get done if you don't have a Democratic majority in the House and the Senate. And our majority comes from people who win in much more difficult districts. Please note that she didn't deviate from talking about their deeply held ideology or their legislative priorities. She only tells them to think about what wins elections. Of course, we shouldn't be surprised about that. She's an accolade of Sololinsky, the progressive activist integral in the creation of slash-and-burn, win-at-all-cost, and by-any-means politics. Stacey Abrams hasn't jettisoned her racist, race-baiting mindset. She's simply repackaging her argument in another attempt to manipulate the people of Georgia to embrace a state that she would infect with a nanny state government. And if anyone believes that Beto O'Rourke has changed his stance on degrading Second Amendment rights in, of all places, Texas, then you haven't been paying attention to what he's saying. As reported by the New York Post. Are you backing away at all from that proposal in this campaign, a mandatory buyback for um, assault weapons? I am not. Okay. Again, I, I, I think that most Texans can agree, uh, maybe all Texans can agree, that we, we should not see our, our friends, our family members, our neighbors shot up with weapons that were originally designed for use on a battle. During his failed run for the Democratic presidential nomination, O'Rourke had said, Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. The Democrats' addiction to running those who lost previous elections is rooted in the fact that they are determined to socially engineer our nation to their will, in their contempt for individualism and the individual, and in their bloodlust for total control. It's a variation on the propaganda technique often misattributed to Hitler's propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels. Democrats understand the power of telling a lie often enough so that it becomes an ipso facto truth. Coupled with their embrace of win-at-all-cost political ethics, and it's clear, they'll say anything to attain power and then do whatever the hell they want. This has become abundantly clear. When I come back, let's talk about the hard left and its hatred for both the Constitution and state sovereignty. You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato. I'll be right back after this. I'm Judson Carroll, and I'm an herbalist. I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, the Southern Appalachian Herbs Podcast. It's available wherever you like to listen to podcasts. It's a show with a conservative Christian worldview, and it's about a lot more than just herbal medicine. It's about an independent way of life, being more self-reliant, less reliant on the government, the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, and the supply chain. With freedom comes responsibility. Sometimes that responsibility is putting food on the table. Other times it's caring for yourself and your family with home remedies. So give it a listen. I think you'll enjoy it, and it may just save your life. 
Welcome back to Underground USA. I'm Frank Salvato. In their quest to bring state governments to heel, the Schumer-Pelosi Democrat-led Congress is pulling out all the stops to execute a power grab that'll do more damage to the American form of government than even the 17th Amendment did when it hobbled protections for the states at the federal level. In a statement that personifies the contempt today's federal Democrats have for the sovereignty of the states, U.S. Representative Jim Clyburn of South Carolina, Democrat, the House Majority Whip, and a politician who lives in a history loop that begins and ends with the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s, defended the disingenuous assertion being shopped by the Democrats that federal elections should be the exclusive purview of the federal government. He went so far as to cite Alexander Hamilton, saying federal elections cannot be left up to the states. In the shadow of the Democrats' wholly insincere marking of the January 6, 2021 Capitol Hill protest, during which they exploited the anniversary to shill for H.R. 1 and H.R. 4, two election purview usurping legislative measures, Clyburn assumed the voice of the total of the Democrat Congressional Caucus, less U.S. Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Sinema of Arizona in feigning a desperate need for the passage of both legislations, lest the democracy wither and die. In arguing the extreme need to pass H.R. 1, otherwise known as the For the People Act, and H.R. 4, a.k.a. the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act of 2021, how righteous those titles are, Clyburn insisted Congress needs to mature with the times, making changes that literally usurp the protections built into the U.S. Constitution for state sovereignty. What is true today was not true then. And therefore, the kind of changes that we need to make, the kind of modifications that we need to make, must fit the times. That's why uh, so many Learned juries have referred to the Constitution as a living document, which means the Constitution is updated, it's changed, it's modified uh, as conditions change and are updated. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we need to do here. Just because you've got one little nugget that was true back in 1876 doesn't mean that that is true in 1976. This is not the same country it was over 200 years ago. We as the people must mature right along with it. So let's just take a blue pencil to the U.S. Constitution to make sure that Mr. Clyburn and the fascist Democrats are satisfied with how the Constitution has matured to their devolution of society. Clyburn attempted to validate his opinion on the back of Alexander Hamilton's wholly partisan advocacy for his preferred candidate in the election of 1800, saying such elections cannot and should not be left up to the states. Alexander Hamilton talked very cogently about this, and he says there that these federal elections cannot be left up to the states, should not be left up to the states. That's why states were not allowed uh, to put uh, the term limits uh, on federal officials. So the elections are not solely conducted by the states. That's why the 1965 Voting Rights Act was necessary. And that is why the 15th Amendment to the United States Constitution was necessary. That's why the 18th Amendment Mm -hmm. of the United States Constitution is necessary. All because 
it had to go beyond the states to decide to determine everything about the election. That's how he explained it. Doesn't make any sense to me, but maybe it does to his voters in South Carolina. Make no mistake, H.R. 1 and H.R. 4 are two pieces of legislation that unethically and unconstitutionally usurp both the written word and the spirit of the U.S. Constitution, where the issue of the relationship between the states and the federal government is concerned. The For the People Act and the John Lewis Let's Usurp the Constitution Act, H.R. 1 and H.R. 4, both in combination would seize the authority of states to regulate voter regulation and the voting process by forcing states to implement early voting, automatic voter registration, same-day registration, online voter registration, and no-fault absentee balloting. They would mandate 15 days of early voting, degrade the accuracy of registration lists by requiring states to automatically register all individuals, as opposed to citizens, from state and federal databases such as state DMVs, corrections and welfare offices, and federal agencies such as the Social Security Administration, which gives out Social Security numbers to non-citizens, the Department of Labor, the Federal Bureau of Prisons, and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services of the Department of Health and Human Services. They would mandate online voter registration that is not tied to any existing state record, such as a driver's license. It would allow 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds to register, even though they can't vote. It would require states to count ballots cast by voters outside of their assigned precincts, thus rendering ineffective any poll-watching initiative or effort completely. They would mandate no-fault absentee ballots, ban witness signature or notarization requirements for absentee ballots, force states to accept absentee ballots received up to 10 days after Election Day, as long as they are postmarked by Election Day, and require states to allow vote tracking or vote harvesting, so that any third parties, including campaign staffers and political consultants, can pick up and deliver absentee ballots. They would prevent election officials from checking the eligibility and qualifications of voters and removing ineligible voters, limit the public release of voter registration information, making it almost impossible for nonpartisan organizations to verify the accuracy of registration rolls, ban state voter ID laws by forcing states to allow individuals to vote without an ID, they would expand regulation and government censorship of campaigns and political activity and speech, including online and policy-related speech, reduce the number of Federal Election Commission members from six to five, allowing the political party with the three commissioner seats to control the commission. They would prohibit state election officials from participating in federal elections, require states to restore the ability of felons to vote the moment they are out of prison, regardless of uncompleted parole, probation, or restitution requirements, they would transfer the right to draw congressional districts from state legislatures to independent commissions whose members are unaccountable to voters. They would authorize the IRS to engage in partisan activity, permitting them to investigate and consider the political and policy positions of nonprofit organizations before granting tax-exempt status, thus enabling IRS officials to target organizations engaging in First Amendment activity with disfavored views. They would prohibit the filing of any lawsuits challenging the constitutionality of H.R. 1 or H.R. 4 anywhere except in the district 
court for the District of Columbia and would allow the court to order all plaintiffs and interveners, regardless of their number, let's say all 50 states, quote, to file joint papers or to be represented by a single attorney or oral argument, unquote, severely limiting the legal representation and due process rights of challengers. And they would establish a commission to protect democratic institutions that would threaten the independence of the judiciary with the authority to compel judges to testify and justify their legal decisions. As the Heritage Foundation's Hans von Spakovsky clearly points out, quote, H.R. 4's stated purpose is to prevent racial discrimination, but it would force racial gerrymandering, make race the predominant factor in the election process, advance the partisan interests of one political party, and prevent common-sense election reforms like voter ID. It would change Section 3 from requiring a showing of intentional discrimination to allowing other violations of the VRA, most of which require only a showing of disparate action, i.e. a statistical disparity, to count toward triggering preclearance coverage, unquote. The very existence of the United States, as if the name itself isn't a testimony to this fact, is an achievement of a compact between the sovereign and individual states that created the federal government. That compact didn't create a lording body in the federal government, but a limited power governing body that was meant to have purview over the common good of all states and all of the citizens of those states. But ever since the advent of the fascist Wilson administration and the passage of the 17th Amendment, the federal government, which was supposed to execute symbiotically with the sovereignty of the states, has continually whittled away at the sovereignty to the point that all 50 states are within a single vote in the U.S. Senate of becoming tantamount to irrelevant and completely subservient to the will of the dysfunctional, draconian, an increasingly fascist federal government and its behemoth bureaucracy. Clyburn cited Hamilton. While brilliant, arguably one of the most politically partisan of the framers, in his justification to attack the sovereignty of the states regarding federal election purview, a purview that facilitates the existence of the federal government at its core. But Hamilton also said, when a government betrays the people by amassing too much power and becoming tyrannical, the people have no choice but to exercise their original right of self-defense, to fight the government. The federal government is supposed to exist symbiotically with state governments, in a state of balance. Should the current fascist federal government succeed in clawing away the state's constitutional right to federal election purview, it'll lead to the abolition of the Electoral College and relegate the United States to mob rule, read pure democracy, where the rights of the minority are not protected. If the United States federal government votes itself the Alpha and Omega, we only have ourselves to blame when freedom lies dead on the ash heap of history. You're listening to Underground USA. Be sure to sign up for everything we do at undergroundusa.com, coming directly to your email inbox and available online 24-7, 365. My name is Frank Salvato. Keep the faith. We'll be right back after this. 